Well, greetings and welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Outpost Podcast. I am Dr. Ray Mitch, your host. I have to pause every time. It seems like when I get into this because I've been saying the psych monologues for so long. <clears throat> so what is it? The Outpost Podcast is one that is exploring the intersection of faith, psychology, and spiritual formation. Um, before, I, before I go any further on that point, let me, let me make a quick comment. Um, I, faith, psychology, and spiritual formation, I say that every week just to um, give people perspective if they've never listened in before. Um, and, and how does that actually, what does that actually look like? And the reality is, is that I, I, we're never very far from any one of those. Uh, the, the faith and psychology is particularly intertwined, and that is true for us as, as humans, generally. I mean, I, oftentimes I'll say, you know, wherever you find humans, you find psychology. And that's true, because we bring our psychology, if you will, with, with us. Uh, we bring a lot of opinions about that as well, but so what I I created this podcast to do and to be is a a clearinghouse of ideas and thoughts and um, uh, considerations, I suppose that I am only the instigator of, not necessarily the uh, final say in. I hope to prompt. A variety of ideas and thoughts that people may have in their spiritual lives and their spiritual journey. Uh, I certainly want to make sure that I'm finding a way to equip people on that journey or maybe give them some perspective they wouldn't otherwise have. Um, it's not often, I, I, not to elevate uh, my time at all, but it's not often that that uh, you'll get an opportunity to, to sit and um, pick the brain of somebody like me, uh, it's expensive, <laughs> and this is free. So how can you beat the price? So um, what is this for? I, I want to be able to create a space where the doubters, the wounded, the confused, the beat up and beat down, the bent and bruised that believe their lives are a disappointment to God can feel accepted and known as well as be in a place that they can know other people as well. And it's a place where we, I think ultimately when we walk into that kind of place, particularly those of us that are Christ followers, it's a place to bump into the, the biblical Jesus, the real Jesus, not the one that we've been sold by whatever religion we're coming out of or whatever church we have come out of that maybe we've, we've experienced some measure of hurt. So... The Outpost is trying to address some of those issues. I, I uh, at the bottom of the podcast, I will uh, certainly ask people to give me ideas and give me topics that you would love to hear, not necessarily me talk about, but I am uh, always open looking for another opportunity or, or an interview, somebody to talk to about some of this stuff that's relevant to spiritual formation. Now, the bigger picture here is an organization called Stained Glass International. It goes by SGI. And Stained Glass SGI's mission is to equip, encourage, and empower the next generation 
to live authentically with themselves, others, and Jesus. And that's the focal point. Now, that does not mean that I come in with an agenda, in spite of what you might assume about my age. I don't come in with an agenda to, to beat somebody up with the Bible or beat them up with Scripture or anything like that. As a matter of fact, um, I've already been there, done that, got the T-shirt and went home. I've already had that happen. I've been in that seat before, and I am going to be the last person to do something like that. And so what I want, what I hope for as a means of either the podcast or um, the, the ministry of SGI is to build what I call outposts for the heart and communities for the soul, is to be a gathering house or a gathering place of people that can sit down and talk about their journey together, tell their stories, um, and not tell their stories for somebody else, but tell their stories to validate their own journey more than anything else. We, The thing I have found time and again in sitting with people in groups that are talking about the nature of their journey, uh, their spiritual journey, is that if they are not focused on trying to say it so somebody else benefits, but try to, to speak the story so that it's true to what their story is, uh, some great things tend to happen. Not only other people hear it and say, wow, I, I, I guess I'm not as alone as I feel, or I validate my own story by speaking it, because the minute I speak something, it, it becomes mine. See, if it's locked up in my head, it, it isn't that. And so... Um, we we want to create these places, these gatherings of people. Certainly, I'd love to see it in person, not in the digital world, but that's certainly probably the first place we're going to start. Um, and so the ministry of SGI is not only that, but also sponsoring and leading silent retreats for young people to experience. And it's a new experience a lot of times for young people, and that's that's exciting. I've been doing that for 12 or 13 years now, and <clears throat> actually longer than that, it's been more like 14. And it, it, it it's remarkable in the sense that silence speaks more loudly than the words we have to share with one another, and that's, that's very much a part of what uh, SGI is trying to accomplish. So, um, the SGI has a home, and I'll talk. I'll mention it at the bottom, but I'll say it here just to get you started. It's called SGI-Net.org, and it is slowly but surely growing. I just added another feature on it on the Outpost Media um, uh, page that uh, allows you to listen to back episodes uh, of the Psych Monologue, which is the ancestor of where we're coming from. So that's, that is there, and more things will start showing up as time goes along. I certainly hope to be able to develop the blog. Uh, the blog actually has one entry in it um, by an anonymous writer called Ashes, uh, and you can certainly read that and see what you think uh, and respond appro- you know, if you want to. So where we left off is I spent some time talking about two weeks ago uh, being comfortably enslaved and how in a lot of cases there's a lot of comfort 
in accepting our enslavement. Now, we talk a good game about being, being free, but we don't live free. And so I, I was doing kind of a mirror image. On the one hand, I talked about in episode 12, I talked about being comfortably enslaved. And in episode 13, last week's, I was talking about the challenge of freedom and why we hate it. And there's a lot to that that I believe um, if we don't, if we're not clear about what it is we're trying to accomplish and what the issues are relative to it, we will not accomplish it. And we'll get frustrated and irritated and usually, more often than not, we'll point the gun at ourselves. And so the, the thing I want to get at is given our intolerance for mistakes and flaws, what strategies do we use when we don't measure up, when we don't uh, uh, do what we think we're supposed to do? Now, sometimes what we, what we think we're supposed to do is to do what other people want us to do, and that keeps them close, that makes it so they don't leave. But see, the, the, the fundamental, if you will, of accepting grace is what we do when we fail, not what we do when we're doing really well. It's not, it, it's that. It's at that moment in time. And usually what happens is we dogpile. <laughs> we dogpile on ourselves. And we pull out old narratives and we start getting after ourselves that way. And that's what I want to look at is what strategies do we use that we think, or at least based on what we do, we think that it will make the necessary correction. But it, usually it makes it only worse, but at least we're being punished appropriately. And, and that's a major, um, a major threat to our spiritual formation because our spiritual formation is built on grace. And if I haven't figured out how to accept grace then what? I mean, I, I, I keep doing a spiritual journey based on old rules. And I, I spent a little time talking about that too, you know, in terms of uh, old, new world and old rules, or old rules trying to live a new way, or new rules in a new way. And so the, the thing I want to look at is just a few active strategies that usually are the substance of what shame looks like in our lives. And, and I, I would agree, although Henry Nouwen used a different word, he said that the greatest single corrupting threat to our spiritual life is self-hatred or self-rejection. And shame is that, because shame is about the very nature of who we are. Not what we do, but the very nature of who we are. So there are a few specific strategies that I want to mention for people to consider tonight uh, that point to how we go about um, rejecting the grace that's being offered us. Okay, So the very first one, a good example, is when we go about discounting our positives. So how, how do you handle being complimented? And when somebody says something nice, particularly in the world of, of Christianity, 
is that a lot of times we deflect and uh, you know credit God with it. Now we should clearly. I mean, our 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 gifts and our abilities are really all orchestrated by God and bringing in the experiences that we have been through. At the same time, our tendency is to believe that when I get a compliment, I don't deserve the compliment because of the standards I'm using. Now, I don't ever identify what those standards are, and usually they're completely undefined. I just know that I'm not measuring up. And this is the this is the basis on which the word enough comes into our vocabulary is I, I I will never be enough. I will never be enough. Now there are realists out there that would say, well, no, of course not. You're not gonna be enough because you can never be enough because of how you know broken and corrupt you are. Except, except it's not about enough. See, that's the problem with this. And, the, and even that language, if you will, is when we ask the question, will I ever be enough, then, then I live in the language of that question. Instead of saying, no, it is not about enough, because enough is a floating standard that I will never, ever, ever make or comply with. And so when somebody says something nice to us or compliments us about something we worked really hard at or a gift that we have or anything like that, oftentimes we'll dismiss it as if they're just being nice. They're just being nice. Um, They don't know me the way I know me. And if they did know me the way I know me, they wouldn't be saying that anyway. So what we've effectively done is we have insulated ourselves from the voice of God. See, the voice of God is saying to us, I have built things into you. And there are people that come into your world and say, I see those things in you. And that's what I mean by them that being the voice of God. And so we sidestep the compliment and we've got a variety of strategies to sidestep them. We can deflect them. We can dismiss it. We can say they're, they're distorted because they don't really know me. Or we could say, whatever they're complimenting me about, nobody really cares about anyway. And see, God enters our world, and this is something I have become aware of over the years, is that God is, we live in a God-saturated universe. We live in a universe saturated by God, and he will move if we can keep our eyes open. And even in the offering of grace by someone else to me to say, that was really amazing, whatever it was that I did or said. And the the alternative is to say, thank you very, very much. I really, really appreciate it. I worked real hard at it, or whatever. And it's not, if I do that, I'm not negating God at all. See, we, we're thinking in very uh, zero-sum terms, that if I say thank you, then I'm taking credit for it, and God is not getting credit for it. And that's, 
that's just not true. It, it, it's our way of trying to be humble, and the harder I work to be humble, the less humble I am. And so we discount our positives. Another one is that we magnify our flaws. So somebody says something nice to us, and we say, well, you know, I don't, I don't deserve that, uh, but thanks anyway, and move on about it. Or we can do exactly the opposite, and we can magnify all of our thought flaws, and we can a- engage in all or nothing kind of thinking. It's like either I'm, I'm on top of my game and always on, or I'm nothing. I, I, anything less than a stunning success is a miserable failure. And so any surface flaw makes that person fundamentally unacceptable by what they do. And the, the thing to keep in mind is this, uh, this jury or this group, if you will, of narratives that I have in my mind that are pointed at me, I wouldn't in my wildest dreams point that at somebody else ever. That level of ruthlessness I would not engage in. And the funny thing about it, not funny, but the, the, the real thing about it is God wouldn't either. Because it's, Paul makes it really clear that when he looks at us, he sees Christ. And he loved Christ. We are God's beloved. And so we think that I've got to keep working to be, for God to be proud of me. Was he proud of Jesus? Well, I guess when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, that would be a statement of pride. Now, I, we've, corrupt, we've corrupted pride. I'll, I will grant you that. I'm not going to debate that point. Yes, pride is the very thing that makes us think that we're all, all that and more. But the solution to pride is not self-deprecation or self-hatred. That, that, that's not the solution. It's an error in the opposite direction. As a matter of fact, we can end up being pretty prideful at how horribly we, hard we are on ourselves. And I think there are certainly plenty of people that would fall into that category. The, for Christians... Since, since our human goodness amounts to nothing compared to God's goodness, then our goodness is nothing. It's, it's just, it, it's nothing. We don't need to pay any attention to it. Anything I do is not that. And ultimately, the least of my weaknesses simply outweigh the greatest of my strengths. The interesting thing about this is, and, and as I go on, you will hear more and more, the interesting thing about this is, is the Bible does not alter the image of all the people that we look up to in the Scripture, Abram and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and uh, David and Samson and Gideon, I, you go, go, go to Hebrews 11 and read the Hall of Faith, and you see and terribly flawed people that are on parade in that, in that chapter in Hebrews. 
And at the same time, they are the very people that God decided to highlight in terms of their faith, not in terms of their flaws. Did they have them? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Everybody knows David was a, a broken guy. We don't, we don't know half of what goes into making David the way he did and how susceptible he was to what eventually happened. He is not defined by what happened because God says, this is a man after my own heart, but he's the same man that, that committed adultery with Bathsheba and committed murder on top of it. Not too many people can join in in that party. And so there's a lot that goes into this that I think we have to contend with if we are going to accept the grace that's being offered us. We have to fight the narratives that we have conditioned ourselves with for a long, long time. For some people, decades. And we've had help. Sure, we've had help. That's fairly irrelevant how much help we've had. But either we can magnify our flaws or we can, you know, we can dismiss any compliments that come our way or discount any positives we might have. Then the other one, always a popular one, is we judge ourselves by undefined ideals. And, and we're dogged by an unrelenting but unspecified obligations to be perfect. Now, everybody will tell me, and, and to a person, are you perfect? No, of course not. I can't be perfect. But if I were to watch how they handled things in terms of a project or a thing that a, a, a task that they're trying to accomplish, they stretch for perfection. That doesn't mean that they're any less performing, but perfection is the measure by which they're striving toward not doing it the best they can given the circumstances they're in or the life that they're in or anything like that. And we think that's giving ourselves excuses. So we, that I think everybody would say, if, if in your job, let's just say for a second, you're in your job, your boss says, I want you to do better at your job. Okay? And you say, okay, so what do you want me to do? And he says, well, I'll know it when I see it. So go, go get him, tiger. That's what we do with ourselves. We, don't have a, we have an ideal, which we all know we can't accomplish, and it's undefined in addition. And we can't do that either. So, again, like I said before, we live in, t in abject terror of being prideful, and we're using a variety of strategies to try to keep that from happening instead of pursuing fully who we are and the giftedness that we've been given and the experiences that, that we have been led through that are suiting us for helping people. And pride is an issue that ultimately people that are judged by undefined ideals just simply can't afford to feel. And that this is this is a, a fundamental problem, I think, in a lot of cases. When I hear somebody say, 
well, I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself by what I've accomplished. It, it, I think people have a variety of reactions to that. It's like, oh, wait a minute, don't get too prideful. We got to knock you off your horse there before you get too far off into the field. It's like, no, you probably should. You worked your butt off and you got to that point. Great. Another strategy we use, which is always a good one, is we translate criticism of what we do into judgment of who we are. And so it becomes a personal um, a, a, a personal affront, if you will. And ultimately, when we're given criticism or feedback, not feedback that is to tear us apart, but to build us up, it blankets our whole being with one criticism that translates us into being, that's the key word here, being an utter and abject failure. Now think about this. Why is this so important for the spiritual journey? Because the spiritual journey is built on a relationship with God. And guess what we bring into our relationship with God? These very narratives. They come with us. And we're not even aware that they're there. I've had more students that I can count on my feet and toes that walk out of my shame and grace class and say, I had no idea how much shame I live in day in and day out, every day, every minute almost, that I'm at least aware of. And so when we sink into shame, and this is the usefulness of it, if you will, and this is why it's so hard to break, is that in some respects, shame insulates us from change since we're perceived as being so devastated by the feedback we get. People feel bad and feel, feel pity on us, and then they back off from giving us the feedback, or they dismiss it or say, it's not that big of a deal. It, you know, it'll be fine. Just make some changes, and, 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 and it'll be better that way. And see, again, this is one of these things where I've just insulated myself from the change. Somebody cares enough about me and loves me enough to give me that kind of feedback. And I'm not good at it. I still, am, I still wrestle with it because this is how I have functioned, just like so many of you have, that somebody gives me criticism or feedback, and it's like, oh, I have failed. I have failed so badly, and I'll just never get it right. And so... Criticism and feedback is, is a, a big problem. I think even in the culture today and within, within our culture, we have such poor boundaries that somebody gives me feedback about how I could do something better or how, what I could respond to or something like that. And, and the other person is, is offended because how dare you give me that kind of feedback? It's like, how do you live in a world without feedback? I mean, I, we, we li- we're in feedback all the time. I mean, one of the reasons I started wearing these, these headphones so I could hear my own voice. I couldn't hear it in, in the other system that I had set up. So here's another one. They read their own shame into other people's perception of them. So we'll read looks and sighs and uh, withheld responses or silence. We'll, we'll read all of that into... Uh, the, that somebody feels bad about them and, and ultimately how they feel bad about themselves. 
And so when somebody doesn't respond, it must mean they're mad at me. Or there must mean that I'm, I, you know, that, that they're breaking off the relationship or whatever it is. And so what, what happens is, is it translates into they parse words and they, they try to figure out what the meaning is behind the words that are there. And ultimately the thing is, is that whatever they see or hear from others is what they actually feel about themselves. And so they're sure that people are feeling about them just as they're feeling about them. And these strategies are, are really, really very embedded. We cannot really see them. And that's why when I started in talking about telling our stories, that's why telling our stories is so important. Because when we say it out loud, instead of having it locked up in our heads, we can see it in action. And actually some the people that might be with us who's also ter- telling their story, I can see me in their story, and now I can probably see me a little easier, a little better. And they may not have it all together either, which they probably don't. And that's the, the basis of us growing together and sharing life together. It's not always trying to fix one another. Heaven forbid that we do that. All of that is just way, way, way over our pay grade. But I think we have to contend with the fact that these strategies that we do, we do them because they're comfortable. Like I said before, comfortably enslaved. And we hate freedom because it calls us to make mistakes and we don't want to make mistakes. And so we, we always fall back to the predictable. We always fall back to the known and expected. And the, 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 the strategy that we have grown with, up with generally is that if somebody's done something wrong, somebody should be punished. And we make the summary judgment, I have done something wrong, therefore I will be punished. And see, it resonates completely with what we already believe. And, and, it, and the funny thing about it is, is it creates an illusion of change without creating any substance of change. And so we control our behaviors, we control outcomes, and it, you know, it looks like it works. It looks like it works. And so these are all active strategies that we use to, to manage ourselves. And, and I'd, I'd use the word self-control, but this is not control. This is over-control. And this is control by intimidation with ourselves, <clears throat> which is strange even to say. It's like, how do I intimidate, intimidate myself? You talk to anybody that has these kinds of narratives running in their head, and they'll say, absolutely, that's how that works. I, 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 I feel held hostage by these narratives that are going on in my head. And so, you know, those are active strategies. Those are things that are active narratives. Now, there are other things that we do 
that sabotage the good in our lives that are similar, but they're passive. They're not, they're, they're not um, these active shouting matches of how bad we are. So passive strategies, for example, is in, particularly in relationships, it's, it, it would be an example of picking a fight with somebody. Now, I don't know. Most of the time, I don't know that I'm picking a fight with somebody. But I, 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 I may get the feedback from them about how uh, cranky I'm being or I just can't be satisfied or whatever. And I pick a fight because I believe that I'm worth being punished and I'm not going to do it myself, so I'll just use somebody else to do it for me. And so, you know, I, I, I can do that instead. Even when things are going well, I've seen people pick fights because when things are going well, sooner or later they will go south. And when they go south, I don't. I want it on my terms. I don't want it on terms that I can't control. So I'll pick a fight and get things going in the direction that I, I felt eventually they're going to go anyway. So there's that. Now, another one is just withdrawal. I mean, we just shut down and we start. We stop thinking. And we numb ourselves and back off and distance ourselves. And in some small measure, we're hoping that somebody will come for us. Now, it's, it's not a conscious... Uh, uh, it's not a conscious strategy. But I withdraw in the hopes that somebody will come for me. And if they come for me, then I really count. Then I really am loved. And I have set it up so that that will happen. And if they don't come, then I am abandoned. And I, I'm not worth anything. And see, there it goes. Now we go all or nothing and our flaws and all the other things that, that go into that. Another one that, that comes up, a more passive type of strategy, really is just the silent treatment. And, and if I get hurt or if I get angry and I just go silent, the other person wonders what's going on and, and I'm not engaging with them, I withhold from them myself. And I punish them by withholding myself from them. And it's using silence to manipulate somebody. Really is what it amounts to. It's just silence to manipulate. And then finally, the, the last one I'll mention in terms of more passive way of handling it is cultivating the mythology that whatever good comes my way, it won't last. And so if, if, if it's all going to fall apart anyway, I might as well make it fall apart sooner than later and under my, under my terms. And each of these things that I've just mentioned to you, the more active strategies like magnifying flaws or discounting positives or reading my shame in other people's perceptions of me or more passive ones of picking fights or sabotaging things in my life that are good or whatever, things like that. This same, these same strategies are used in our relationship with God, which is part of our spiritual journey. And so one of the things, I, and it was, was just recently because I'm, I'm, we're at this point in the semester, for me at least, where I'm reading a lot of journals, a lot of reflections that students have on some of the materials they're reading and 
and the things that I'm seeing in class and things like that. And, and there was something that, that somebody said, and I said, that's the voice of attachment um, operating there. And it was basically somebody moving away, and, and I'm abandoned. I, I am, I don't, I'm, I'm not deserving of somebody's presence, and so I've got to fit it together somehow because the certain, I can't live with the uncertainty that maybe they've got something going on in them about them, not about me, and I just don't know, and I don't like not knowing, so I'll make something up that I can know for sure, and then, of course, I can go off on my high horse with the punishment strategies and the narratives and all the other things that come along, which only magnify it tenfold or more, hundredfold in terms of what that goes into. So all of these things are a threat to our spiritual formation because our fundamentals of attachment to, to the earliest people in our lives come up with our most fundamental attachment, and that is with God and the other people in our lives later on. And if you're not familiar, I, you know, you can certainly easily look up a variety of, of um, uh, uh, information about attachment. And a lot of times what you'll find is people talk about attachment styles. Um, I, I oftentimes like to talk about it in terms of attachment filters, like how I see the world, like glasses or contact lenses, and all of the way that I see it is how I'm going to form my strategies for it. And that's very much a part of that as well. So this, this is, these things are such a big deal because they enter into our relationship with God. And please don't, please don't sit and say, well, it shouldn't, because it's irrelevant whether it should or it shouldn't. It does for a lot of people. It may not be for you. That's fine. It's great. But it does. And, you know, I, it, it should has this way of obscuring reality because it's not connected to reality. It's connected to an ideal. And then go back to what I said earlier about an undefined ideal. So the, the thing to keep in mind here, bottom line, and this is where I'll land and end the evening, is a lot of times people will say to me, does it really matter what my motivation is as long as it changes my behavior? And, and my answer would be a resounding yes. Motivation does matter. And I talked about this um, like three, three or four weeks ago. Is motivation really does matter. Heart change, heart development takes a lot longer than simply sin management does. I can stop certain behaviors, but that doesn't address the motivation behind those behaviors. I had somebody once say, and I, I, many years ago now, of, in dealing with an eating disorder, and they said, all of the effort that, that I had in my treatment was on my eating habits and nutrition and that was really about, and some of my behavior, certainly plenty of my behavior, 
but I never took the time to look at what was, what was the engine driving that thing. And if we focus on developing our, our uh, 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 heart management, our heart development, sorry about that, I had a phone call, um, and, and working through it that way, then in time, over time, I will indeed change. I will not see that change nearly as soon. Because that change is messy, it is up and down, it's forward and backward, and we don't tolerate those kinds of things. In psychology, we call it progressions and regressions. And in kids, we don't think a thing about it with kids. We expect a regression when their language lurches forward or their physical development lurches forward, and then they have regressions with other behaviors and things like that, or they act infantile when they're a lot older than that. That's normal. We don't think a thing about that. But in us, it's intolerable, and it's usually condemnable. And that's a big part of it. So motivation truly does matter. And a lot of our strategies that I've spent the evening talking about are to control behaviors and gain certain outcomes rather than focusing on what's the underlying issue and the underlying engine that drives that along. And it can be, like I said before, attachment. It can be hurt and woundedness that I haven't identified. I can be a number of different things in here that really do enter in. And I have to call the monster by name if I'm going to actually change that. The monster obviously being metaphorical. So that's how I'm going to end it there tonight. Um, <clears throat> and hopefully it will have given you some, some things to think about. Just a few things to end on. Like I said before earlier on, uh, is that please send me and DM me your questions on Instagram or other places. There is a, a comment uh, opportunity on the website at, at uh, sgi-net.org. You'll find all sorts of things there. And there will, like I said, we have a growing library of resources for you. Uh, so send your questions my way. I get, I get a, a note in my email when somebody does that. I'm very open to, to entertaining possibilities when it comes to that. You can, when you hit the website for the first time, you'll be asked to join the community. We're not going to spam you. We're not going to use your email for anything other than to keep you abreast of what's going on on the website and what's changing. Uh, and things will be changing. I, I'm hoping to institute kind of a monthly newsletter to, to give you an idea of what's coming up and what our needs are for sure. Uh, because we have ongoing needs as, as a baby ministry is trying to get off the ground. The other thing is, is a resource. It's a paid resource. Um, it's five bucks a month. You just have to give up a latte or two. Uh, but it's, it's called Setting New Boundaries. It's a digital version. Uh, when you sign up for it, you'll get something uh, uh, every week. And, uh, and you'll, you'll get something on setting new boundaries and having healthy relationships. And it looks at a variety of topics throughout the year. You'll get it for a whole year. Um, and so you can sign up for a year or semi-annual or monthly, whatever you, whatever you want. And you'll be able to get that as well. If you want to follow us anywhere in social media, we're on three different places. One is Instagram. 
at SGI underscore international, um, at in- Instagram at SGI underscore international, Facebook at Ray.Mitch, and LinkedIn at DRMitch, M-I-T-S-C-H is the name. Uh, you can hear and s- subscribe, and I, I would love to see uh, our, our numbers change on that front, too, is just follow us on Spotify or iTunes or Amazon Music, wherever you listen to, to your podcast, please please do so. Um, and finally, as always, if you're interested in partnering with us or you know somebody that's interested in supporting and uh, encouraging the spiritual formation of, of a variety of people, not just the younger generation, but certainly it's, it's a tar- target group, certainly for us, um, but if you're interested in partnering with us to continue to grow the scholarship fund to make our retreats available to people that can't afford it, um, all of your gifts are tax deductible. Uh, and we are a tax-exempt organization, so you can make a donation on the website under the Donate drop-down. Um, <clears throat> and so you can choose where you want to send it. If you want to send it to the Silent Retreat Fund or if you want to send it to our general fund, uh, all of that, uh, we, we would be deeply appreciative and deeply grateful for your partnership in that regard. If you'd rather send us a physical check, you can certainly do that as well. Just make it out to SGI, and the address is P.O. Box 322, East Lake, Colorado, 80614. Uh, thanks so much for joining me, taking some time out to listen and to consider some of the things that we talked about tonight. I'm glad you could join me. I'll be here next week. And until then, love you. Later. Bye.